This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. We were here this morning at one point. And this is a continuation on from this morning. I'll just give you a slight recap in a moment before we continue tonight. So Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles, or sent ones, that means. Simon, whom he also named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, as he's called in John, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And this morning we began to look afresh at the, uh, the lives of the 12 apostles. Uh, these were the Lord's hand-picked, chosen ones that would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And uh, I said this morning, it's probably been a decade or so since we last looked at this as a study, and uh, we forget over 10 years. I, I do anyway. Of course, maybe it's my age does that. I don't know. Maybe you've got a great memory, but I haven't. And uh, so we need to be reminded again and to be encouraged and to be inspired uh, by those that Jesus chose uh, for this particular special ministry. And we said how that their calling and their commission was uh, in different parts. It was a process. And in John 1 was the first time that, that Andrew uh, and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel uh, met with the Lord Jesus. Uh, Andrew certainly had been a disciple of John the Baptist, and it was at Jesus' baptism uh, where they met, or within that couple of day period. And uh, then we saw how then in Luke chapter 5, uh, between John 1 and Luke 5, there was a period of time where they'd become followers of Jesus, but they hadn't given up their day jobs. They were still, most of them were still fishermen at this time. And so they would go and listen to him as often as they could, and they would uh, be fascinated and inspired and, and wonderfully challenged by his preaching and his parables and his teaching, perhaps some of the miracles they saw also. But when you come into Luke chapter 5, you see that was the time when Jesus asked Peter for the loan of his boat, that he'd push out a little into the sea, and there he would preach. And when he was finished, he told them to cast out their net into the deep, and they would get a great uh, catch of fish, which they did. So much so that both... Uh, boats began to sink. And then at that point, we saw very clearly at that moment that they forsook their nets and they followed Jesus, letting us know that that was the moment when they decided the fishing's finished for us. We must follow the master. And so that's when they took that step of faith and came into what we would call full-time ministry. And in the scriptures we just read in Luke chapter 6, that was the third stage and now they had been with Jesus for some 15 or some 18 months or so, 
and they had been following him and listening to him and he had been blessing them and sending them out and they were doing some ministry. But now, out of the many disciples, and there was many of them, remember at one point he sent 70 out, so there was many of them, and out of the many he chose 12, hand-picked 12, he went up into the mountain to pray, get the will of the Father on that, and then chose these 12. And uh, whenever you read uh, through the Gospels and into the book of Acts, you'll see that there's lists, these 12 are, are listed, and as we said this morning, uh, it's interesting the way that they are listed. And so there are four lists that mention specifically Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, and Acts 1.13. And of course, in the Acts list, Judas is no longer there. He's gone. He committed suicide, so he's totally out of the picture. But in the other lists, of course, uh, including the Acts list, uh, it's very obvious that they were in uh, groups of four, three groups of four. And Peter, Andrew, James, and John were in the first group, and they were always listed as that. Sometimes there's a little difference between, you know, maybe there's a, a shuffling around of the list, but always, always Peter is head of that particular list of four. And then the second list, uh, Philip, he heads up the second list, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew. But always Philip is top of that list. And then, of course, the, the third group of four is James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, Libius, uh, this is Judas, the son of James, sometimes called Libius by Matthew, and Thaddeus by Mark. And then there was Simon, uh, Simon the Zealot, and then Judas Iscariot. And always James, the son of Alphaeus, is head of that list. And as we said this morning, uh, list number two or group number two are not mentioned as much as group number one and group number three are hardly mentioned at all other than being in the list except Judas Iscariot and there's, there's mention of him more and we'll talk about that whenever we reach uh, looking at his life and the whole context of the gospel story and so the head of the list here is Peter now they're all different personalities uh, different abilities, different capabilities, uh, different ways they had. And Peter was brash and he was rough around the edges. He was highly opinionated and he was bold in one hand and yet he could be a card in the other hand. And we'll see all of that beginning to play out. Uh, and we know that James uh, and John, who were brothers, and Peter and Andrew were in the fishing business together. And the possibility that they had probably grown up together is very real. And, and Philip and Nathaniel were two good friends. They were good buddies. And it seems to be that Philip and Nathaniel also knew Peter, James, and, and, and John and Andrew. They, they knew all of them. They were all together. They had known each other. And they're all from that same region. Others did other things. There was, of course, there was Matthew, who was a tax collector. They hated tax collector, collecting taxes for Rome uh, from his own people. And there was Simon the Zealot then who was a paramilitary and he was in a kind of a quasi-political uh, group uh, that believed that they, they, could, they could kill for the cause as long as they rid the nation of the, the occupiers of Romans. And then of course there was Judas uh, who was the traitor. And so our focus tonight then is going to be on Peter because he heads the list. And in Luke 6, we read that together, uh, Simon, whom he also named uh, Peter. 
And in John 21, uh, Jesus calls him Simon, son of Jonah, or Jonas, or John, that actually is. And that's all we know about Simon's parents, just his dad, whose name was John, or Jonah, or Jonas. That's all we know. And in John chapter 1, verse 42, and we're going to have a little look at this here, this is where Jesus then, in that first instance where they meet, and how uh, Jesus deals with them. Well, let's read in verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, looking at Jesus as he walked. He said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, being translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. And that's Aramaic for a rock or a stone. You should be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And so Jesus, the first time he meets him, he renames him. He gives him a nickname, could we say. You are a rock. I wonder did he call him Rocky. <laughs> you are Rocky. You are a stone. And whenever you read through... Uh, 1 Corinthians, and even in the Galatians, you'll find that, that Paul calls him Cephas because it's an Aramaic term, but it simply means, the other translators is Peter, of course, and it just simply means a rock or a stone. And remember Jesus said, remember he said at one point, whenever, whenever Peter realized who he was, and she, you, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You remember whenever he said that, and of course, we'll come to that in a moment or two as we look through this together because it's a fascinating insight into what happens. And so Christ would transform this Simon who was unsteady and unstable. He was up, he was down, he was in and he was out. He was brave one moment, he was a card the next. But he would become strong and dependable and humble and submissive. He'd become one of the great pillars of the early church. And so by Jesus calling him a rock or a stone, he actually was reminding him that he would be what he would be in spite of all of his weaknesses. Jesus saw beyond what he was and saw what he could become in him and with him. So in spite of all of his feelings, and he had lots of them, he was going to become a great rock, a great pillar in the early church. However, as I have said on previous occasions, as I say again tonight, he didn't always from that point on call him Peter. Sometimes when Peter was about to revert back to being Simon, the old ways, the old Simon, or he did revert back to being the old Simon, often that's when Jesus then would call him Simon, just reminding him that 
he hadn't quite reached where he needed to be yet. He wasn't quite there. He was, he was in the process. He was being worked on, but he just hadn't quite made it yet. Just the same as us. We haven't quite made it yet either. But Christ sees uh, what we can become. Now, whenever the scriptures speak of Simon in, in an ordinary term, just about Simon the man, it would talk about Simon's boat or Simon's wife's mother. It always used his birth name. That was his name he was born with. But Jesus, from time to time, would use Peter. And sometimes then he would use Simon. And sometimes he used Simon Peter. It just depended on the context. And we're going to have a little look at this. So look with me at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and we're going to begin reading from verse, uh, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Notice here the double emphasis, Simon, Simon. Reminding Simon that he was weak. He wasn't quite that rock yet that he was going to be. He was weak and he was going to fail. But then here's the brash, proud, sometimes arrogant Peter. And he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And interestingly, you'd think that at this point he would address them again as Simon, but he isn't. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. I wonder, I wonder was Jesus just been maybe slightly facetious. I say to you, Rocky, Rock, that you're going to deny me three times. You think you're strong? You think you're a rock? Yet, you're not. In fact, you're very weak. And you will fail me. And you will deny me. And so, when you go on down then to Later on in that chapter, verse 39, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and the disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus is praying in the garden and those three are with him, by the way, in this, in this particular garden where he's praying the garden of Gethsemane. And I want us to look at it more in Mark 14 because this is a little bit more than we need to hear. Mark 14.
In fact, let me just back up to verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. So he's telling them that all of them, not just Peter, but all of them are going to fall and fail. And he actually gives them scripture for it. What could be clearer and plainer than that? But after I've been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. But listen, Peter. This is typical Peter. Peter said to them, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not. <laughs> Can you believe the arrogance of this man? Here is the Son of God, and he's telling him, and he's given scripture to back it up. And Peter's acting as if, well, that doesn't apply to me. It may apply to the rest of them. But not, I'm the rock. That doesn't apply to me. Do you ever sit in church and the preacher says something and you think, oh, I think, that's, I think that's for him over there, that's for her over there, that's for them, but it's not for me. That was Peter. But Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. <laughs> I mean, if this, if this wasn't serious, it would be funny. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. No matter what Jesus said, he was going to say the opposite. And because he was the leader, because he said that, what happened? And they all said likewise. Well, if he's not going to die, I'm not going to deny you. If he's not going to fail you, I'm not going to fail you. If he's not going to run, I'm not going to run. And then they came to a place which is called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, there's that term, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. By the way, if somebody tells you that you can't pray twice for the same thing, if you do, you're not acting in faith. Point them to this scripture. Jesus prayed the same prayer three times. Apostle Paul prayed the same prayer three times about his thorn in the flesh, didn't he? Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And so here's Peter. But he's really Simon. This is the Simon side of Peter. And he's tired and he's weak 
and he's fallen asleep during the prayer meeting. <laughs> he's not paying attention. He's not keeping up at all here. Jesus didn't ask him to do much. He didn't even ask him to pray. He said, just come, just, just be there. I, I'm going a little bit further. I'll pray, but you just be there and just watch. <laughs> Couldn't even do that. But then here's the other side of Peter. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, with a great multitude, not just a few, a great multitude with swords and clubs came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and they took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword. This is Peter, by the way. Luke 22 tells us this. One of those who laid their hands on him, sorry, and one of those who stood drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now here's the brash, bold, fearless rock. <laughs> and his master is going to be arrested and he doesn't like it. He's going to do something about it. Is he going to take on the whole multitude? He doesn't care. All he wants to do is save the master. So he draws out a sword and he goes to cut the head of Malchus, the high priest servant, and he misses and cuts his ear off. I mean, that's, that's Peter. That's what he's like. Impulsive, doesn't think very far ahead. I mean, is he going to kill everybody? How is he going to take up on a multitude? Then Jesus answered and said to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple, teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. All of them. Bar none. Now we know that later John came and he stood at the cross because Jesus addressed him at the cross. We know that Peter came back to Jesus' trial and that was a big mistake because he wasn't big enough to handle it. And that's when he denied the master completely. In John 21, which you don't need to turn to at this point, in John 21, that's where Jesus meets the disciples who had gone fishing. They thought the ministry was over and they'd gone fishing, toiled all night, caught nothing. They came back to the shore and Jesus was there. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And Jesus took Peter aside. He said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And the word he uses, agapeo. Agapeo. Do you, without condition, vehemently, do you love me? And Peter looked at him. He says, Lord, I phileo you. It means I'm very fond of you. I'm your friend. He couldn't, he couldn't answer him unconditionally. So Jesus asked him again, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, I should say, do you love me more than these? Lord, I phileo you. He, he, he had blown it and he just couldn't say, Lord, I, I'm really, really, really fond of you. 
you're my friend. And then Jesus, he, re, he really twists it. Jesus then the third time says, Peter, do you phileo me? He used his word this time. Do you even love me as a friend? Lord, you know all things. You know I truly flail you. He denied Jesus three times, and Jesus took him to that place where he had to, three times he had to ask him, do you love me? <laughs> do you know that he never, ever called him Simon after that? From that point on, Right through, right into Pentecost, he would become the rock that Jesus had planned for him to be. But he needed that restoration. He needed that humbling. He needed to get off that big high horse he had been on. And he was truly humbled by his denials. But now he needed it restored. He needed it restored. And Jesus restored him that morning at that seashore. John in his writings. Remember, John was a personal friend. They had probably grown up together. Certainly were in business together as fishermen. But in John's writings, he always addresses him as Simon Peter. Yes, he addresses him as Peter, because Jesus did. But he always said he was Simon Peter. You know, those that are closest to us they know the best and the worst about us, don't they? They know the times when we're Simon and they know the times when we're Peter. They know the times when we're weak and they know the times when we're strong. They know the times when we're right and when we're wrong. They just know the both sides of this. And John certainly knew him inside out. And even though he admitted he was Peter, but he always wrote as him as Simon Peter. And in fact, in 2 Peter, Peter's second epistle, he calls himself Simon Peter. Even though he knew now that he'd been made into a rock, but he still called himself Simon Peter. And as we often say, never forget the bowl you were baked in. And he never forgotten it. He knew he had been Simon, but now has become Peter calls himself Simon Peter, a bond servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter was opinionated. He had always something to say. He always put his oar in. And it, it didn't matter if he was being asked. He just bought it in. Somebody says there's the only thing worse than somebody who knows nothing is somebody who knows everything. And Peter was one of those who thought he knew everything. And even when he wasn't being asked a question, if Jesus was talking to somebody else, he bought it in. He just couldn't stop himself. He had an opinion about everything and everybody. And it got him into trouble more often than that. G. Campbell Morgan, that great old preacher, said that he asked more questions than any other disciple. He was always first to ask a question. He was always first to give his opinion. He was always first to give an answer, whether it was right or wrong. That didn't matter. He had to give an answer or give his opinion. And perhaps 
maybe because he talked so much that God had to interrupt him. <laughs> Might have been interrupted by God. Watchman Nee reminds us that the New Testament records records three times when God interrupted Peter. The first time is in the Mount of Transfiguration. And you can understand, you know, Jesus is there, he's transfigured before them. Moses and Elijah is right and left hand. They're in this conversation about is the cease that's coming up. And nobody's speaking to Peter. I mean, they're, they're in conversation. Peter, James, and John are watching this. And these are boyhood heroes. These are the ones that they grew up. These are the national heroes. And he's excited. But it says, and Peter answered him. When you read it, and Peter answered, well, nobody asked him anything. But Peter answered him and says, Lord, let us make three tents here, three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Nobody asked his opinion. Jesus didn't ask him an opinion about this at all. This is his thoughts. And he just could, he just out with it. And God spoke from heaven. God interrupted him. <laughs> and God says, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. See what Peter was doing? Didn't, he didn't really grasp this. Peter was putting Moses and Elijah on the same plane as Jesus. And Jesus is high above them all. Peter is putting the law and the prophets above Jesus, and you can't. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of all of the prophets. And God had to interrupt him. So the Father spoke from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. I'm well pleased with him. So hear it. Listen to him. The second occasion. Again, in Matthew 17, some people came to Peter and they says, does your, does your master pay the temple tax? Oh, yes. Well, he never asked Jesus about that. He decided he would just speak for Jesus because Peter was wanting to do that. He'd just give his opinion. So Jesus pulls him aside later and uh, explains to him, well, who pays taxes? Is it, is it the sons or is it strangers? strangers. So then son doesn't have to pay the tag. Yeah. Well then really I don't have to pay it. But so that we don't offend them go out, cast a hook in and the fish that comes up will be money in its mouth and go and pay the temple tax for you and for me. So he's been interrupted by God the Father. He's been interrupted by God the Son. And in Acts 10 He's interrupted by God the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he's, he's talking to Cornelius. And he's preaching the gospel to Cornelius. And he's in full flow. <laughs> and he's preaching up a storm. And he's telling this Roman centurion, you know, about the gospel. And in the midst of the preaching, the Holy Ghost interrupts him. <laughs> and suddenly, while he's preaching, all these Romans all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. <laughs> the Holy Ghost interrupted him in the middle of his preaching. That would be some, wouldn't it? That would maybe be a good thing, wouldn't it? It would be good if I was interrupted a few times too, wouldn't it? You'd like that, wouldn't you? Imagine being interrupted by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. <laughs> hmm. 
John MacArthur makes a lovely point. He says that no disciple was spoken to more often by Jesus than Peter. No disciple was rebuked more often by Jesus than Peter. Why did he do that? Because he saw the potential. There's so many rough edges, so many flaws, just like you and me. There's times he had to really tell him off, put him in his place, remind him at times, hey, you're not rocky yet. You think you are, but you're not. You're still Simon, but I'm working on you. But here's the thing. No disciple ever rebuked Jesus except Peter. Imagine rebuking the Son of God. Imagine. Imagine telling Jesus off. Imagine saying to Jesus, Jesus, you're wrong. See, did he do that? Yeah. Jesus was explaining to disciples in Matthew 16 about what was going to happen to him and how he was going to be crucified in three days and he would rise again. And Peter rebuked him. Peter says, far be it for that to happen to you, Lord. Remember what Jesus said? Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't savor the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Imagine rebuking the Son of God. That's the raw material that Jesus had to work with. But aren't you glad he was patient and persevered and worked with him and made him the person that he wanted him to be? Peter was a leader, no question about that. Jesus recognized this right from the very start. He was bold, he was decisive, he was a risk taker, he was a can-do man, he was all of that and more. But he had many weaknesses, he had many character flaws, he did things that was embarrassing, even to himself, I'm sure, at times. He had lots of rough edges. But because God saw so much potential in him that Jesus was patient, I was prepared to work with him. Yes, he had to chastise him, but he loved him, and he saw the potential in him. And so the Lord has given you a hard time. It's not because he doesn't love you, it's because he does love you, and he wants the best for you, and he wants to knock off all of those rough edges. And I don't know about you, but I got plenty of them. Yes, there's been some knocked off over the years, but there's still some left. But thank God, he still loves me enough to work with me. And that's the same as you. So let's look a little further at Peter tonight. It's often been said that we admire Paul, we reverence John, but we love Peter. Why do we love him? Because we can see all his faults, his foibles, his foolishness, his mistakes, his errors. You can see all of that. And sometimes we see ourselves in that because we see our own mistakes and our faults and our foibles and our foolishness at times. And so it's easier to identify with Peter than it is to Paul. I mean, Paul to us is the super believer. I mean, who could ever reach that height? But Peter, 
well, we'll read about Peter as we're reading tonight and say, well, we're a wee bit like that. Maybe a big bit like that at times. But sometimes, sometimes we use that as an excuse. Sometimes we hide behind Peter's foolishness and his mistakes and his weaknesses and say, well, you know, if that's what he's like, that's what we're like. But R.E.O. White says, before we identify ourselves too early with Peter's faults, we should remember his achievements and compare our own with that. Because he became a mighty man of God. One of the three great pillars in the early church. White goes on to say, Peter became an outstanding leader of the apostolic church, a prime target for the Sanhedrin and the king. He not only opened the kingdom to the Jews at Pentecost and to the Gentiles by preaching to Cornelius, but toward Palestine for Christ and probably far beyond, for he addresses a rich, heartwarming epistle to a widely scattered church. And in the end, he came to Rome. Although most believe he did. We can't be absolutely sure, but most believe he did. For almost certainly his memoirs inspired Mark's gospel. And so before we hide behind his faults, let's remember his achievements in Christ. And they were great. The first half of the book of Acts, he is the main man. First half. He's right up there. He's the one that they look to. Incidentally, Peter was married. Luke 4 and 30, it says that Jesus hated Peter's mother-in-law. Last time I checked, can't be married unless you have a mother-in-law. I know that some of you, some of you would like maybe, perhaps, nah, you got to accept her. <laughs> you got to accept your mother-in-law. You married into that family. Take it in the chin and go on. I had a great mother-in-law, by the way. I never, ever, ever had words with my mother-in-law. Never. We just had a, uh, just a good relationship that way. Old Les Dawson, the comedian, he said that he never, ever had words with his mother-in-law because he couldn't get a word in edgeways. <laughs> Let's look tonight as we begin to wrap up. Let's look at just a few of the incidents in Peter's life. In Matthew 16, in that revelation of who Jesus was, let's just look at that quickly. A couple of things I want to show you here. Verse 13, Matthew 16, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Silence. I can imagine those disciples all looking down at their sandals. You know, whenever I was in Israel, standing at the Pool of Siloam, the wee tour guide, and there was probably 50 of us that day, maybe more, all either pastors or preachers or all involved in leadership within churches. And he asked the question, he says, how many miracles did Jesus do in Jerusalem? 
Nobody answered. They're thinking, I don't want to look, I don't want to look foolish here. Especially as a pastor. We're all stunned. And he knew, he already knew the answer. He wasn't looking for an answer. He knew the answer. Which is not my subject tonight, so I'll just leave that hanging there. But anyway, <laughs> the point was, we didn't want to answer. Because we didn't want to look foolish. And so they're all looking down at their sandals, except Peter. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. (laughs) And he was absolutely right. But notice this. It's verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you. Now here's the amazing thing. Didn't say blessed are you, Peter, the rock. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. I wonder why he said Simon Bar-Jonah, which was his weak side. I wonder what was he saying, you see, and this encourages us. Even in our weakness, God can still reveal to us. God can still give us revelation in spite of our weaknesses. And this is the grace of God, isn't it? There was nobody weaker than him. And yet it was to him that God gave the revelation that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter. You are Petros. You are a rock. And on this rock, this Petra, uses a different word here, on this rock I will build my church. Not on Peter, but on the revelation that Peter had. Peter was not the first pope. Mm. Never, never was. Church wasn't built on Peter. It was built on the revelation that Peter had that Christ is the Son of God. Take that out of the church, we have nothing. We have no foundation. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. But did you notice he says, blessed are you? There's a danger sometimes when God truly blesses us and we know we're blessed and others can see we're blessed. And others here were blessed. There's a danger that a little bit of pride can come in. And that was one of Peter's weaknesses, was pride. And he must have felt a little bit proud at that moment. Because he was the only one who got the revelation. He just blurted it out. But Jesus says... Simon Bar-Jonah, that just wasn't you speaking. That was God speaking through you. So can you imagine how he must have felt? (laughs) It's amazing how pride can just sneak in there when you least expect it. I maybe told you this before. I remember one time walking down the aisle of of the tent in Bible Week. And there's a couple that I've known for years, hadn't seen them for years, but known for years. And she came to me. This was during the meeting time. She came to me and she stopped me now and says, David, it's right out of the blue. I don't know why she said, she says, David, you're a very humble man. 
Hmm. And I walked away with that ringing in my ear. Oh, I'm a humble man. <laughs> Somebody thinks I'm humble. That's nice. And all of a sudden, you realize pride begins to rise. And then you become proud of your humility. <laughs> Did you hear about the posture that made him advise the greatest posture in the world? They had to take it off and they started to wear it. <laughs> or the pastor who wrote a book, 10 Great People Who Knew Me. <laughs> The old pride can rise up very, very quickly. And this was a problem that, that Peter had. And so, uh, Matthew 26. We'll have a little look here in Matthew 26. We'll just, just some of these. Because you could just spend all night talking about these. Actually, we have read that. We have read that about Gethsemane and about his boast before that and about then the sword and the denial. But you know, when you read a little bit further, you'll see that how that Jesus had told him before that rooster would crow, he would deny him three times. And when that actually happened, the moment that happened, Jesus turned around and looked straight at Peter. And he looked right in Peter's eyes. And it wasn't a look of condemnation, because he really knew he was going to do it. He really told him. But when he looked right in Peter's eyes, it says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. It just melted his heart. All of that bravado, all of that boasting, that bragging, all of that had come to nothing and he knew it. But when Jesus looked into his eyes, at that moment, he just broke. His heart broke. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Judas went and hanged himself. But there was something about that look that Jesus gave a tender look, not an angry look, not a condemning look. And even though it broke his heart, it saved his life. Because he could have went out and hung himself too. Because he denied him. But he wept bitterly. 
So here's the breaking of this big man. Here's the chain starting to come. Here's him realizing his foolishness, his weakness, his faults, his feelings, all of that, his denials, his cowardly act, all of that. And in an instant, in a moment, when Jesus looks at him, he breaks and he weeps. And that's when in John 21 comes Jesus. And that moment restores him. I asked him those three times, do you love me? And now his life is changing. And now he's going to become the man that God intended him to be. It's taken a while. It's taken three years. Especially the last 18 months before Jesus went to the cross. It was a tough school to be in, the school of Christ. Hard lessons had to be learned. But he was chipping away at him till he got him to the place where there was nothing left. All of that arrogance, all of that blowhard he was, all of that stuff was gone. And now God was really ready to use him. And on the day of Pentecost, he's the one that comes out and preaches that fantastic sermon that's just peppered with scriptures. As I said the other week, hadn't been sitting those 10 days getting the message to preach. Nah, just by the Holy Ghost it came out. And it was so anointed that 3,000 people got saved. What must we do to get saved? So here's the rock. Here's the real Peter now, that the one that Jesus was working to bring him into that place of being a rock. And then in Acts 3, he's going into the temple and the man's begging. And Peter looks at him. Silver and gold have I not, but what I do have... I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he grabbed him by the hand. He pulled him up. Rise and walk. And the man leapt up. And he jumped. And he leapt. And he rejoiced. Somebody said he asked for a coin and he got a cure. He asked for a hand out and he got a hand up. And the old one, of course, he asked for arms and he got legs. <laughs> <laughs> Could that be the same man? that rebuked Jesus, that denied his Lord? Could that be this possibly the same? Yes, it is. But now he's Peter. Now he's filled with the Holy Ghost. Now he's the man that Christ intended him to be. And Acts 5, people were selling a lot of stuff they had to, for relief for the saints at Jerusalem. Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife team, they sold some land. And they pretended to Peter that they had given all of it, although they kept back part of the price. So he comes in to Peter, Ananias, and Peter says, Did you sell it for such and such? Yes. 
you're a liar. You're a liar. You're lying to the Holy Ghost. And the man fell down dead at his feet. While it was in your power, you could have done what you liked with that. But you didn't have to lie about it. He didn't have to pretend you were giving it all when you weren't. And he fell down at his feet dead. Three hours later, his wife comes in. Did you sell on for sale? Yes, you're a liar too. She fell down at his feet dead too. Could you imagine if that kind of power came into the church today? How would you like Peter to be your pastor? I think an offering time would be running out the door. <laughs> There's still a little bit of work to do on him, though. Because he's at the house of Simon the Tanner and he's waiting for his dinner to be cooked and he's up in the roof. The Lord has chosen him to go and introduce the gospel to the Gentiles. So this sheet comes down in the vision. It's full of all kinds of creepy crawlies and all the things that Jews couldn't eat. Arise, Peter, slay and eat. Not so, Lord. I couldn't eat that. Don't you know I'm a good Jew? That's not kosher. Three times it came down. The Lord says, what I have cleansed, don't you call on common. And just for that, three men came to the door. Because Cornelius had a visit by an angel to go to send for Peter. <coughs> and Peter knew, hey, this is God. I better go. You see, for a Jew to go to a Gentile home and to go to the home of a Roman, of all people, that was a big no-no. To sit down and eat with a Gentile unheard of. That's why it's such a hard time with it. Because what's he going to eat? Stuff that's been offered unto idols? Stuff with blood in it? Stuff that's been strangled? All the things that even the church hierarchy told the Gentiles not to eat. But now he's, he's beginning to understand, no, this is not about food. This is about the souls of men. So he goes there, and that's when he's telling the story about the gospel, and that's when the Holy Ghost interrupts him. And suddenly the church is open to the Gentiles. And it's Peter who does it. Isn't it strange that God sent Peter, an unlearned and ignorant fisherman, to the Gentiles? Just, well, by and large to the Jews, actually. He opened the door to Gentiles. And Paul, the educated Jew, he sends to the Gentiles. But only God would think those things so that he would get the glory. Now, just one more, two things, and then we're finished. So Peter's doing great. Marvelous. He's the rock. He's one of the three great pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John. James now is sort of the, the head at Jerusalem. And so the Gentiles, there's things happening at Antioch with the Gentiles, and Peter goes over there to find out what's going on. Wants to know what's happening. And when he gets there, it's wonderful. God has just broke out and the Gentiles are getting saved and he's excited. Because after all, he was the one who entered just the gospel to Cornelius. So he's excited. And he stays there. And he's eating in their homes. And he's enjoying their hospitality. And it's wonderful. 
He, a Jew, them Gentiles were one in Christ, brothers and sisters in the Lord. All those old broken wooden walls are gone. Wonderful. Until James sends a delegation from headquarters to go and check it out. And they were legalistic. And Peter knew it. And when that happened, you know what Peter did? He withdrew from the Gentiles and he stopped eating in their homes. Here's a bit of the old Peter coming in, the vacillating Peter. Not such a rock now, not standing for the gospel of grace at this moment. He's scared of the, the legalists coming in. And Paul, he challenges, he, he faces him. He calls him out. And he says, you're a hypocrite. He says, not only that, he says, you've even got Barnabas swayed, and he's doing it. And this is wrong. This is wrong. You're a hypocrite, he tells him. He told him right to his face. I tell you, the apostle Paul, he was strong, wasn't he? And he knew that Peter was one of the main men in the church, but he's telling him, hey, listen, don't go back to that legalism. It's wrong. It's wrong for you. It's wrong for the Gentiles. Stop it. You're out of step here. Really, really told him off. That's in Galatians 2, by the way. But to Peter's credit, to Peter's credit, he accepted the rebuke. There would have been a time when he wouldn't have. But now he would. And he's accepted the rebuke, realizes it's wrong realizes that James and those legalists, they're the ones that's wrong. It's not Paul. He's wrong himself. And he gets back on track again. And then, towards the end of his life, he's been Peter the disciple, he's been Peter the apostle, and then he becomes Peter the epistle writer. And he writes two lovely, beautiful little epistles. And we're just going to read a couple of little snippets from them as we close tonight. In 1 Peter 1, Hebrew James, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith been much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, might be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That the genuineness of your faith. Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. And when you're converted, strengthen your brother. And here he is talking about faith and the genuineness and the preciousness of it because he understood that because if it hadn't been for Jesus praying for him he would have lost that that most precious thing that it, without it it's impossible to please God in chapter 4 verse 14 if you are reproached for the name of Christ blessed are you for the spirit of God sorry for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but in your part he is glorified. 
if you're approached by the name of Christ, blessed are you. He's not speaking in the vacuum here. This is a man that has suffered beatings in jail. And if it hadn't been for an angel rescuing him from jail, he'd have got his head off like James. But he says, actually, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, you're actually very blessed. Now, we never think that. Sure we don't. Oh, somebody's giving me a hard time because I'm a believer. Glory to God. You're blessed. <laughs> but we don't think that way. Sure we don't. But Peter's writing to people who were being reproached for the name of Christ, being persecuted sometimes unto death. And he says, actually, rejoice. You're kind of worthy to suffer for his name. Entirely different way he's looking at things now, isn't he? And then Galatians, uh, sorry, 1 Peter 5, just down the page a bit. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, also a partaker of the glory which will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. He had risen to the heights of one of the top three in the early church. And I said a moment ago, the first half of the book of Acts, he's the main man. But see how humble he is? He says, don't lord it over God's heritage. Always remember you are a servant. The greatest leaders are the greatest servants. Somebody said, if you're too big to be led, you're too little to lead. Somebody said, if serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. Jesus bent down, put an apron on, and washed the feet of the disciples. So anybody that's going to be in leadership in God's kingdom has to be first of all a servant and always a servant. Always to the day you die. And Peter was. He became a great, great servant of Christ. There's many more there we could read, but we're not going to. If you read through his epistles, you'll see some things that he had learned in his journey with Christ that now becomes a part of his life. What happened to Peter at the end? I'm going to leave that till we talk about all the rest of them. And then I'll tell you what happened to each of them. Because with the exception of John, all of them were martyred for Christ. So we'll have a little look at that at some point. And so there's, there's something encouraging when you read about Peter. That you can say to yourself, with all of my faults, with all of my feelings, with all of my weaknesses... <laughs> Christ still sees something in me that he can use. And he doesn't want me to stay weak. He wants me to be strong. And he doesn't want me to continue to forever feel. He wants me to win. He wants me to be what he intended me to be. But we can take encouragement. And we can say, well, Lord, look what you did for Peter. So you can do something for me.
Look what Peter did. I'll never rise to the heights of Peter, but in my way, in my time, in my generation, surely there's something I can do for the kingdom of God that will be a blessing, that will leave behind the blessing when I leave this scene of time. That's what we're hoping. That's what we're believing for so that the Lord can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that we can receive from your scriptures. And Lord, we, we do realize our weaknesses and we do realize all the stuff that you need to deal with in our lives. And we're so grateful for your mercies. We're so thankful for your forgiveness. We thank you for your blood that cleanses us. We thank you for the second chance and the third chance and the umpteenth chance that you have afforded us in this life. Lord, help us to go out of here tonight fully determined to serve you in whatever capacity that you have for us at this time and lead us and guide us into greater and better things for your glory and for our good in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.